0: Everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. It is time to call us the merriest podcast around because Christmas season has started. At least that's what my no, Starbucks no, cup no, said. No, no. And that's the no voice you hear from John Hanna of the Associated Press. You know,
1: I I am I am a firm believer that the Christmas season does not begin until December first. I know I'm I'm out of step with the rest of society, but someone has to uphold the old values.
0: Yeah, my caramel brulee from Starbucks this morning. Uh, I, I believe, believe that's a known Christmas Christmas as a, colored.
1: I, I believe that's known as a sugar bomb, Jason. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I'm uh, I'm wearing a red shirt and red socks. Right yeah, I, I just see, need some green to complete the. Latte. I
1: I see that I I you are quite festive. Uh, my uh, a shout out to my brother who describes a latte as a coffee where the coffee is lighter than the cup. Um,
0: so <laughs> uh, uh, we we missed getting you all a podcast before Halloween, uh, but we now have one before Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we. Hopefully, another one. Yes, indeed.
1: We uh, we uh, we uh, we couldn't get one in before the trick or treaters descended uh, well, on 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 our houses. Not very many of them, by the way.
0: We, we had a spookily busy season here. That's sure, right. We kept State trying Boston. to
1: get sit down and do some podcasting, and and we just um, we
0: just got busy. Yeah, stuff kept coming up, and one of that those stuffs. Uh, I uh, what was it Tuesday afternoon or Monday afternoon? I, I mean, can't remember. The, it all
1: runs together. I mean, uh,
0: actually, it was the day before Halloween. Uh, uh, we we got a court ruling out of Johnson County, the one district court that uh, is operating <laughs> normally. Yes, the uh,
1: the one with actually computers still up.
0: Yeah, I think we might have podcasted that day had it not been for a pretty big ruling from. Uh, the judge there, uh, yes, K. Uh, uh, Christopher
1: Jaya Ja I'm butchering his name. Uh, Jaya Jaya Ram. Am I saying that correctly? Jaya. No, I
0: I was not in the courtroom, but you were back in August when they had yes, and uh, and, uh, and our arguments. our uh, de-
1: dearly uh, moved uh, to Wisconsin. Andrew Ball was there as well, I
0: believe. And uh, so. A little bit of a refresher. The case dealt with – well, the case it, is ongoing and it deals with two pieces of abortion law.
1: One one new and one old. Yeah, the
0: new one is over the idea of abortion pill reversal.
1: Yes, or stopping abortion pills. The idea – well, the law required abortion providers to tell their patients that once you started the two – generally a two-pill regimen – uh, to end a pregnancy, early in pregnancy, that's when the, the pills are most effective, that you could stop that, you could re- reverse it, in effect, with high doses of progesterone, uh, which has been used by doctors for decades for, to attempt to stop miscarriages. Now, uh, major medical groups Uh, would describe this regimen as unproven, untested, uh, not studied thoroughly enough and potentially dangerous. There's actually a study a couple years back that raised questions about whether progesterone was effective in stopping miscarriages and whether, whether, in fact, you could do much to prevent a miscarriage. So that question is out there. But this is uh, this is a thing that about a decade and a half ago uh, that a couple of anti-abortion doctors tried out and thought was successful, and it's been promoted by the anti-abortion movement ever since. And they will tell you that hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, babies have been saved by through this method, um, and but as I said, the kind of the medical establishment the, the uh, disagrees with that it's an effective way to do this. Anyway, uh, that it, law it, is in effect as of it, July first. It's been on hold because yeah, it, of the
0: litigation. It, it was passed by the Republican led legislature over oh. Democratic Governor Laura Kelly's veto,
1: and that the judge struck that down. Um, and in addition to that, he struck.
0: Well, well didn't it strike it down. It should, well, he put uh, it, it on juncture. hold. You're right. Yeah, You're right. The, they're, they're he exploiting. indicated that he
1: might strike it down eventually, but he did put it on hold. This is just a preliminary injunction. The, the, the trial is the, scheduled for June 24?
0: Okay? June 2024, toward the end of the month, yes. Uh, All yeah. week. The
1: last week of June, if I'm recalling.
0: Uh, And they'll probably use most or not all, if not all, that week because, I mean, this ruling was, what, 92 pages? It was
1: 92 pages long, and we can get into why it was 92 pages long. The more interesting – the the interesting addition to this ruling was that he essentially put the state's entire informed consent law known by – Right to know. That's the title that um, the anti-abortion folks gave it. Uh, it is a law that requires physicians to provide uh, certain information in print in twelve point Times New Roman font. By the way, um, twenty-four hours in advance, the twenty-four hour waiting period is now on hold. All of the, the most of the informed consent language uh, is on hold. Doctors, for the moment, don't have to provide that information and. Um, that's quite a sweeping ruling. Some of these requirements have been in place. Uh, I think the waiting period has been in place since 1997, if I'm remembering correctly, 1997 or 1998. And the, the providers who sued made an argument that over time you get this, uh, accretion of little restrictions that built up into a, uh, they called it a scheme. I'm trying to remember the language they used, but a deceptive uh, regulatory scheme or some such, they called it that, that was their language, not ours. Um, And the argument was in total, all these requirements were a serious infringement on access to abortion, especially now that uh, other states have banned abortion or come close to it. And Kansas is seeing a lot more patients. Yeah, so
0: some of those rules, I think the 24 hour waiting period in particular, have been on the books since I think 1997. Yeah. And if, if you're wondering why didn't they sue sooner, there's really two reasons. First, that 2019 Supreme Court ruling. Right,
1: Hodies and Na, Hodes and Nauser, uh, and, as it's known.
0: And Hodies and Nauser are the. They're named plaintiffs yes. in the title of the lawsuit. The yes, R- Hody's M- and
1: Nauser, MD's, PA, uh, and uh, Tracy Lynn Nauser, who's one of the providers, and then Tristan Fowler, another, also Comprehensive Health, the clinic
0: operated by Planned Parenthood Great Plains. And uh, so that 2019 Supreme Court ruling, uh, as our regular listeners will know, was uh, found a right to abortion by the the Kansas Constitution's Bill of Rights. Right. extends to bodily autonomy autonomy. and therefore extends to the right to an abortion.
1: It is a chain. Uh, The language about uh, inalienable rights protects a right to bodily autonomy, which protects a right to determine when or when you're not pregnant, which then protects— access to abortion. That was right. the chain of reasoning in that. And right. voters voters essentially refused to overturn that decision by 59% or so in August 2022. So that ruling still stands.
0: And that was on the- uh, v-
1: Yeah, there was the a, a proposed- Republicans put a proposed constitutional amendment on the ballot that would have basically uh, allowed the legislature to ban abortion if it wanted to.
0: And the, the other reason, as you alluded to, was uh, that, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Yes. And then a bunch of states either banned or heavily restricted abortion. And we have seen in Kansas a higher i mean, an, I think 57%
1: increase. increase between 2021 and
0: 2022. And that is... Almost entirely, if not entirely, due to out of state patients yes. coming to Kansas. Yes. Because their home states no longer allow them to get abortions. Yes. And the argument essentially from the providers is these restrictions made our jobs more difficult before, but now with that influx of patients, that difficulty. Is something worth fighting against?
1: Well, and and let's remember what uh, the Hodi Na- Hodi decision in 2019 from the state supreme court said. It said that the courts have to apply because this is a fundamental right. That was the phrase they used. The s- state has the courts have to apply s- strict scrutiny to restrictions. The state has to have a compelling state interest and. It has to do what it's doing in the narrowest, most narrowly tailored way possible. And um, the judge found that neither was the case with any of these laws. And the reason this opinion is, is 92 pages long is that the judge spent a great deal of time going through the requirements of the law, and discussing whether there was a compelling state interest, whether they could show there was a compelling state interest. He also parsed a lot of the evidence about what providers are supposed to tell their patients. For example, um, about fetal development and, you know, there's uh, the, the law they're supposed to tell uh, providers are supposed to tell their patients that a, a fetus can feel pain at least by 22 weeks, if not earlier a pregnancy. Uh, they're supposed to mention, you know, potential links to breast cancer and trouble uh, with pregnancies, future pregnancies. Um, the judge went through those statements and pretty much said, uh, that is not the mainstream view of science. None of those things accord with the mainstream view of science. In fact, there's some discussion uh, in the OBGYN uh, community about whether a fetus ever feels what you and I would identify as pain, whether it is – there was uh, – read some literature that suggested uh, basically the fetus is in a state of – Akin to sleeping the whole time. Of course, the anti-abortion movement takes would take great issue with that, and you know these laws are premised on the ability to to feel pain. Um, but that is certainly not uh, the the main group of uh, OBGYNs. The uh, American College of Obstet- Obstetrics and Gynecology, the AMA, don't agree with it, um, and. Uh, Clearly, the judge concluded that the evidence didn't support forcing providers to tell that to their patients. As a matter of fact, in his ruling, he said that the uh, providers presented credible evidence that 30 to 40% of what they're being required to tell patients is not in keeping uh, with um Oh, we had a phrase for it. it. wasn't It was he said it was medically inaccurate or not in keeping with uh, the consensus view of science, the science of fetal development, thirty to forty percent. So, and and that was another thing that the 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 providers had argued that they were basically being forced to give patients misinformation, and so this idea that women would be not well-informed if if this law wasn't there. They argued that's not the case. And as a matter of fact, their argument was that this law makes women worse informed. It gives them a lot of information that is extraneous to the procedure they're going to have. And they argue serves to confuse. Now, of course, supporters of the law were quick to say, you know, this, this is going to narrow the amount of information that patients are going to get for the time being until there's a trial and the judge determines. Now, of course, the problem for the state is that one of the things a judge has to conclude to issue a preliminary injunction is that the plaintiffs, the people suing, are likely to succeed later on the merits of their case. So, In effect, he's signaling that he believes that there's a good chance that the providers are correct in terms of what they're arguing, and that's that's a that that would you know the 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 state's attorneys, the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, kind of a conservative anti-abortion uh, group that is. Basically helping the attorney general's office with this. They haven't decided what they're going to do. The state hasn't said. We've not heard from Chris Kobach, the attorney general yet, um, whether they'll appeal. But that would be a natural move um, because, um, you know, otherwise the judge is pretty heavily signaled which
0: direction he's going. And, John, I... I do think I've seen a few people suggest that this is an activist judge, uh, which, I mean, regardless of how he ruled, people can say that about any judge. An activist judge is a
1: judge who issues a ruling you don't like. That's what an activist judge is. I mean, it struck me how much – uh, I mean, it it, 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 you know, the the law of the land under Supreme Court precedents, Stare Decisis, whatever you wanted, U.S. Supreme Court for for however many years it was almost fifty years, was at least some. It it eroded over time, but some nationally, some protection for abortion access to abortion. Well, the Supreme Court. The US Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision overruled that. Um, And, you know, they would argue that they were, you know, that it was wrongly decided. Uh, in the first place, and they were just going back to, you know, yeah. traditional...
0: D- depending on your views, it was either Roe v. Right. Wade but was an activist decision, or Dobbs exactly. was an decision. Exactly.
1: In 1973, anti-abortion people saw Roe v. Wade as an activist decision. In in 2022, abortion rights supporters saw Dobbs as an act- active It's always a decision you don't want. Like.
0: But Judge uh, J. Aram, yes. I believe, uh, he he spent a lot of space, you know. Essentially, saying there are passionate people on both sides, and uh, yes, here here's, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to quote from page eighty-eight. The
1: court has great respect for the deeply held beliefs on either side of this contentious issue. Nevertheless, the state's capacity to legislate pursuant to its own moral scruples is necessarily curbed by the Kansas Constitution and its Bill of Rights. The state may pick a side and viewpoint, but in doing so, it may not trespass upon the natural, inalienable rights of the people. That's what he said. So that's where the argument is. Are they trespassing on the national, natural, inalienable rights of the people? And that question goes to the that question could end up pretty quickly before the Kansas Supreme Court if the state appeals um, this court. That court already has two other abortion cases on laws that have never been enforced from. Years ago, the Brownback, the administration of Republican Governor Sam Brownback, so the court now has three opportunities directly, possibly, to back off a little bit in its in its 2019 decision. They've so far not given much indication that they'll do that, but we'll see.
0: It, for the anti-abortion legislators and lawyers and uh, lobbyists. This might be seen as not the uh, main goal, but a smaller goal could be uh, getting the Supreme Court to walk back that strict scrutiny standard. Or to
1: at least narrow what strict scrutiny means. You know, when when you think about Roe versus Wade um, declaring federal constitutional protection for access to abortion well over time the us supreme court kept narrowing 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 what that meant and allowing states to do more and, and more uh, i mean it kind of sometimes it seemed to hopscotch but generally the trend was toward allowing states to enact more restrictions and then they they just overturned roe versus wade so you know it is possible that the Supreme Court could step in and set some guidelines and and preserve some rules and not allow others. We, we just don't know until they start issuing rulings. Um, what we do know is that during the campaign on the amendment, the anti-abortion people argued that were the hodies nouser decision to stand if the amendment did not pass, which it did not. That every restriction, even long-standing ones, would be in jeopardy, and here with this ruling, you have a you have some pretty long-standing rules being put on hold, and and a, a, a preliminary conclusion that they
0: violate the state constitution. And in thinking of strict scrutiny, uh, jumping to a different case now. Sure. Uh, our Kansas Supreme Court meets Friday. Today is Thursday, so maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, the court will have already met at Washburn University. Yes. To discuss The new law school, voting, actually. Yes. Right. Uh, they'll be discussing some voting right. Uh, a voting right case. And strict scrutiny comes up there because voting is a fundamental right.
1: Right. And uh, this is on appeal from the Court of Appeals. A three-judge panel said that because voting is a fundamental right and what right is more fundamental uh, in American society than voting, uh, that strict scrutiny applies and therefore a a series of election restrictions approved by a Republican legislature, I believe over – Governor Kelly's veto were not permissible. the The two big ones are first uh, a limit on third party
0: ballot delivery. It, it, to use the term of the people who uh, supported the bill. It's It's not ballot ballot harvesting. harvesting, Okay.
1: It's not ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is a specific illegal act where you collect a bunch of ballots, you illegally fill them out and then you stuff the ballot box. And that happened in a North Carolina congressional race. This is voters who are eligible to vote Legally eligible to vote, putting their ballots, absentee ballots, in a sealed envelope, handing it to somebody else to deliver in person to the county election office or presumably a drop box.
0: And the, where this tends and to be the, most common is assisted living centers. And assisted a, living, and poor, one poor of neighborhoods, the people. Is yeah. a Topeka Assisted Living
1: sure. Center. And um, the legislature limited the number of ballots that one person could deliver for others, uh, to 10. Um, there are the last time I checked about a dozen States that most States allow, most States allow third party delivery of ballots in some form. There are a handful that don't. Um, some of the laws are very strict. For example, in Oklahoma, only your spouse can deliver it for you. In a, in Missouri, you have to. In most cases, there are some exceptions. You have to. You have to have the person delivering it. Uh, uh, a, a notary basically has to sign the envelope. Um, oh, actually, you have to get a notary to sign it. So you have to have a witness basically that you're. You're serving it. Uh, North Dakota allows you to have an agent deliver the ballot, but that agent has to basically register with election officials in advance and say that he or she has your permission. So the laws are all over the map, but it's...
0: And there are also other provisions. I think some restrictions on mail and ballots, uh, dealing with signatures. Right. The,
1: the, the, The Kansas law says... Kansas has, all for a long time anyway, has had a signature match. You look at the signature of the voter on the ballot envelope and you compare it to the signature the election official has on file voter registration form. And if they don't match, the presumption was before that it wouldn't be counted, but it didn't specifically say that. Now the law says if they don't match the the election officer the the they have to reject it now there is a process to cure that you can you know they're supposed to try to find you and tell you that your ballot would be rejected and give you a chance to come in the lawsuit the the plaintiffs in the case argue that there's not enough due process and that's where they do legal process and that also is, you know, states are kind of all over the map. The argument about signature matching is that it can be fairly subjective. It seems to get better if you do a lot of training of, uh, of election workers, and Kansas does do some training. So, you know, the argument is you can have, for example, my signature doesn't look the same way it did when I was 25 or, you know, um, and... I, there are a lot of, you know, and if you ask me to sign it I was doing a, some form yesterday and I was, and this is going to show you how old I am. I was trying to use the little, uh, the little pen icon to draw a signature over a line. And it was, it was a mess. I had to do it like seven times to get it looking like even halfway like a signature. So, you know, your signature can change your handwriting can get a lot shakier as you age. Um, you can try, you know, when I was 12, I was really neat about it and now I'm not. Um, so all of those things are, are out there in the, when you talk about this issue and, and, um, and the Court of Appeals made this interesting argument that you, as the voter, have no control over whether your ballot is rejected because of a signature match. You know, that's, that's something that happens in the election office, and you don't know it unless they tell you. And, and, and again, the law says they're supposed to try to find you. But if you go out of state and they can't find you, you're stuck.
0: Your ballot doesn't get counted. From a, from a personal perspective, from my own frustration of trying to keep these laws straight and all the court cases straight, uh, this case that is being argued on Friday is a branch of the same case that was argued back in February that we are waiting on the Supreme Court to rule on. Uh, there were two different pieces because the lower court had allowed some had allowed one specific claim to go forward uh, on the impersonation of election officials, but it had rejected the other claims. So those had to go through. a that, separate That's an process.
1: interesting piece of the law because the argument is it is now a crime to impersonate. Is it a felony now? I'm yes. trying to remember it's, it's either a very high level misdemeanor or a felony to impersonate an election officer. And the question is what, what does it take to impersonate an election officer? And, you know, the plaintiffs argue that if anybody is even in the least ways confused about whether you work for the election office, even if you say it a gazillion times that you don't, you are criminally liable and the the Backers of the law say, "Oh no, 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 no! Yeah. You
0: you have to put up a sign claiming to be an election, uh, you know." And in this case, it's the League of Women Voters yeah. in loud light saying, "You know, if we have a voter registration drive, inevitably somebody will think that we are election workers, and if they mistakenly believe that, is have we not committed well, a crime?"
1: And and yeah, and and it does. Their concerns point up uh, a fact of American legal life, local prosecutors have an enormous amount of discretion on what cases to pursue and what charges to file. Now, of course, if you file charges against somebody, eventually you go before a judge and they look at the case and there's a question of probable cause. And if it gets past that, you go to a jury. So there are some checks on a prosecutor's power, some pretty significant ones, but anybody who's been a criminal defendant will tell you how miserable it is to be a criminal defendant and how that sticks with you, even if you get acquitted. Um, and so there is some power in just filing charges against folks. On the other hand, I think there is some skepticism on the other side that that a, a, a mere voter registration drive would be the thing that triggers it. So, I mean, we'll see how the we'll see how the courts rule on this in this environment of strict scrutiny. The other bit of context here is, of course, the twenty twenty election and these. Uh, baseless election conspiracy theories that have been floating around, largely due to Donald Trump and his allies, all these conspiracy theories that kind of taint the discussion and, and create this idea that there's this unsupported idea that there's massive fraud uh, there's no evidence that there's massive fraud in American elections. Now I'm, you know, you run across cases where there are questions about the. There's a town in Connecticut where they're doing a redo because there are questions about, I think, ballot drop boxes. You know, there was a, I think, a race, a local, uh, maybe a local or a state race in Georgia where they they were forced to redo the primary over some questions. I mean, and there was a case in Kansas where. Uh, something, there was a computer glitch that they caught and, you know, it flipped the vote totals. I think it was Cherokee County and that's made a lot of, but, um, in terms of, uh, you know, massive fraudulent conspiracies, there's no evidence of that.
0: And John, earlier we were talking about how, uh, Johnson County is the only district court that is operating normally, uh, so we, You know, we, and
1: actually they're supposed to go uh, hook up and become part of the state system next year, I believe. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, the uh, ongoing computer security issue that has the hallmarks of... Yes, it.
1: experts told the Associated Press that it has all the hallmarks of a ransomware attack. Now, we have not gotten any evidence from the dark web that anybody has asked for a ransom. You know, it it is a <laughs> I don't want to say it's a process if you're a hacker intent on doing a ransomware attack, but it is. You have to get in, you have to grab the data, you have to encrypt it and you have to hold it hostage. And then you can ask for the ransom. So we 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 and and I I should preface all of this by saying the court, has, the court system, the judicial branch, has said very little other than it's a security incident. So, I mean, but you what, know, we, What are it, we on, what,
0: like, the third... I think we just finished the third full It week. started
1: October the 12th. Oh. So we're now... Gosh, we're now, like, 20 days into it, almost three weeks. Yeah. And, Actually, it's three weeks today.
0: Yeah, And, I mean, this uh, security incident means that attorneys are re- having to file on paper and by fax machine and it also means that reporters I mean
1: who has want, a fax machine anymore
0: uh, <laughs> yeah and it meant that John you and I had to oh my goodness the work we went through uh, and there a lot of the work yeah,
1: the work we went through to get the uh, uh voluminous motions filed in the Zoe Felix uh, the case of the five-year-old girl who was murdered. We, the defense, the capital uh, case defender, uh, filed twelve motions. Eleven yeah. of them apparently publicly, one apparently under seal. Um, and we, I, I, it was a lot of. Um, it was some emails back and forth to figure out who was the proper person to. Dig up the paper and make copies.
0: I mean, I'm glad you were able to get a response.
1: Uh, the Shawnee, the, it's it's doubly, um, it's the it's doubly frustrating in Shawnee County because um, not only are the compute is the computer system down, so we can't do all of this searching online, but the clerk's office itself—they're renovating the courthouse. They're putting in new uh, heating and ventilation and air conditioning systems. And so the uh, the uh, clerk's office has been relocated to temporary quarters, a floor below. So yeah, the yeah, that, courthouse
0: is a mess right that, now. That, that last Friday of October, we probably would have been podcasting in, in the afternoon had it not been for uh, – you getting a breakthrough on getting those court records, and me yes. being able to piggyback off you. <laughs> um, yes, and and the and, interesting and, and thing and is, once we got there, then we found out we had to go get checks. Checks. I had to
1: scoot over to my bank and get a cashier's check for six dollars. Uh, luckily, the well, check could cost, walk cost walk me there, three. Right? Yes, luckily yeah. I could walk there. You had to drive somewhere. Yeah, it cost me like three dollars to get a six dollar check. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no cash folks. well, and I'm I'm supposing that's more secure financially. you don't I mean, you probably just don't want to keep a cash box where you it the new clerk's office is not quite as secure as the one they're going to go back to. so I I have some sympathy for them there. It's just it's a difficult situation. Um, I mean, I've heard some complaints that title, that realtors are having some trouble because it's hard to do title searches.
0: Well, and if you want to get married, you can't do it on, you can't get the marriage license online.
1: Yeah, you have to go to the courthouse. And now. if you
0: want to get uh, child support, well, you can't <laughs> do that through the courts either. Yeah. And if you want to get a protection from abuse order, you can't file online for that. Uh, it's a pain for a lot of people, not just us. Yeah. It's
1: a big pain in the butt is what it is. And, and, you know, there's a lot of the, the, the legislature's joint committee on information technology has had two meetings. They were in closed session for about two, a little more than two hours the other day. The first part of that was they were reviewing past audits of the judiciary's computer security. And then they had about an hour or so discussion of what was going on. Uh, When they came out, the judicial branch official said that this is going to be a slow process. It's going to come back. The systems are going to come back online in phases. Um, And not. we were talking to Kyle Hoffman, Representative Kyle Hoffman, the chairman. He's a Republican from Coldwater and we said you know how long did they tell you how long this is going to take well i can't tell you and we said well months a year and he said went to that he said hopefully not so um, we'll we're just going to see and and i'm sure at some point details are just going to trickle out a little bit as they can but it's it's frustrating not to know
0: what exactly happened I'm- and normally we are able to look online see what has been filed and print it and in in newer cases
1: since about what last year newer cases we can even print the documents out yeah
0: and right now we can't we don't know if any new documents have been filed and trying to get our hands on i think uh, it'll what's go
1: easier on. now that now that you know, part of it was sorting out who was, you know, who had the documents, who could give them away, who felt they could give them, give out copies. So I think we have that question sorted out and it's just going to be sending emails to the appropriate people. And, you know, well, and I, I do feel for them because they probably have better things to do than to look up Routine information about cases for reporters that normally reporters could look up online. Mm
0: -hmm. And if you want to read more about what those documents in these O.A. Felix case show, you can read more about it at cjonline.com. And then thinking of the security incident, uh, a week ago, I was at uh, the joint campaign announcement for uh, Senator Rick Cluse and his wife, Uh, Penny Boyer-Cluse She's running
1: for the House He's running for re-election to the Senate Both as Republicans I presume
0: Yes Uh, And uh, Senator Rick Cluse uh, Described the Court security Incident as quote A breach He declined to elaborate A data situation Yes,
1: he declined to elaborate on that After the meeting this week I asked him about it
0: Uh, uh, and then keeping up with the theme of court stuff, uh, that campaign announcement was the first court time. Court stuff that affects the State House, because we are
1: chilling yeah, in the State yes. House. We yeah. are the award winning Chilling in the State House podcast. So we're so, tying it back to the State House.
0: So for Senator Rick Clouse, uh, a, a fairly significant issue in his first election campaign. Uh, was that he was founder of God's Storehouse, and since that time, uh, his connection to God's Storehouse has come under IRS investigation. And and, and
1: explain God's Storehouse. I mean, it, it is a well the the actual the actual thing that I know is God's Storehouse is the place you go for. It's a it is. Uh, basically, a
0: thrift store. The, the, the senator described it as a church that runs a thrift store. Yes, and also yes. has a coffee shop. Okay. Uh, and
1: a lot I, of churches have coffee shops. By the way,
0: I wonder it if they was have, a thing, uh, Christmas it was cups a thing. It was
1: like mine. Too. It was a thing in the odds uh, for attracting people. You you get them in the door to drink coffee, and then you talk
0: to them about Jesus. And. Uh, there were various issues that are under investigation and remain under investigation by the IRS. Basically
1: the, the issue there is the IRS is looking into whether, what the campaign and the church were mixing too much. Uh,
0: That that's part of it. Some of it has to do with whether taxes were paid on his paychecks, uh, and, and the status of the church itself. Uh, so basically, they're one of the things they're looking into is
1: whether he improperly avoided taxes.
0: I mean, they're they're looking into uh, I think four different pieces, and I should have a story this weekend that you can okay. read more on. And and um, I'm
1: assuming he, uh, from what I understand, he thinks that this is uh, an unwarranted investigation, and it raises I mean, pretty big religious freedom
0: issues. Well, and part of the reason. He believes that is a Freedom From Religion Foundation letter to the IRS. Kicked Uh, all this off? Well, it is unclear that it necessarily kicked it all off. As the judge in Kansas noted, uh, the newspaper, us, the Capitol Journal, back when Andrew Ball was here to report about it because I was not here yet – he noted that it was publicly available information, so it's not necessarily that the Freedom From Religion Foundation letter kicked it off. Uh, but the IRS has been digging. They've been trying to get bank records. Uh, and there are and subpoenas it, being contested. And-, and it is currently tied up in the U.S. 10th Circuit Court. Uh, there's supposed to be a filing from uh, God Storehouse's lawyer this week. I Not this week, this month. Uh, so
1: and and who who is representing them uh, Kriegshauser Ryan Kriegshauser sort of the uh, go-to lawyer for conservative uh, plaintiffs and defendants uh, Ryan Ryan used to work in the if I'm remembering correctly he used to work in the Kansas Secretary of State's office he's he's been around may have been a county attorney if I'm remembering a, I'm, he's, he's in Republican circles. He's pretty prominent.
0: And, at uh, the campaign announcement was the first time that Senator Kloos addressed the IRS investigation publicly And, and let uh, me, <laughs> publicly deserves an asterisk because it was a private campaign event, but I, I was going to say,
1: you know, reporters tend to be the skunks at the family picnics where, you know, there are celebrations and fundraisers and stuff. And we go in and we ask, uh, uh, uncomfortable and intrusive questions.
0: Well, uh, lowering no, no our popularity. No questions were allowed.
1: No questions were allowed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't ask them. Yeah, right. They just make it clear up front they're not going to answer them. Uh,
0: and I mean, I I I don't mean this to be an insult because my dad was also uh, a home preacher, but uh, when you have a preacher speaking, uh, they tend to speak for a lengthy amount of time. So there's lots of material to work with. Uh, I I
1: I don't know that I've ever told the story about my uh, grandmother on this podcast. My grandmother, uh, very catholic, very involved in her church and she sat in the front pew and in her 80s if the priest and I guess uh, Catholics have a tradition of short, they call them homilies, not sermons. They have a tradition of trying to keep them short. And if that priest hit eight minutes, she would point at her watch and he'd wrap it up. So my, my grandmother uh, once said that if she won the lottery, she'd buy the church new pews. So, well, uh, I, so well, she's, she's my ticket to heaven, by the way. <laughs>
0: I'm going to cite her at the pearly gates. <laughs> I, 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 I think the most important thing that the senator would want noted, is that the reason why he doesn't just turn over the documents is he sees this as a precedent for a bigger attack on religious freedom, and he he thinks that if the IRS can come after him, then what's to stop them from going after other preachers who run for the legislature?
1: Or probably other preachers generally. I mean, uh, you know, this has been... This has been a back and forth for gosh decades over uh you know, churches being basically tax exempt and how involved in politics they are. You know, there are some there are some denominations with traditions that the the pastors are not overtly political, at least in terms of uh endorsing candidates or or you know, suggesting how people ought to vote. And then there are other denominations where uh, pastors believe it's, I, I would say, their, their duty to give parishioners some guidance on who they feel would be uh, the best candidate in line with their, with the beliefs that the congregation holds.
0: And, and the senator isn't the only pastor in the legislature. There's at least one other with Representative Schlingensiepen from Topeka. Yes, United Church of Christ. And back
1: in the day, Bob Bethel was uh, – Bob Bethel, the the committee uh, – Child Welfare Oversight Committee is named for him. Um, he was a uh, – I think he was a Southern Baptist pastor, if I'm recalling correctly. He had a little uh, – he wore a little lapel pin of Bob the Tomato if um, – If any of our listeners know Veggie Tales, yes, my daughter watched those when she was little. Veggie Tales uh, are cartoons where all the characters were vegetables and they retold Bible stories and gave moral lessons and they were kind of cute and funny. Well, tomato isn't a tomato a fruit? You know, yeah, that's actually true. And, and, and Bob said, Bob told me once that they had, the original idea was to do candy bars. And somebody came to them and said, every parent in America is going to hate you if you do candy bars because that's all their kids will want to eat. Um, so something I, like that.
0: I'm, I'm glad you bring it back to candy after. Uh, after Halloween, ha- after boy, Halloween. Boy,
1: I had a lot le- left over. I had to donate it.
0: And you donated some to my, uh, my mid-afternoon snack <laughs> yes. fund.
1: Yes. I always, you know, it's that thing where when I buy like one bag because the year before we didn't have any kids come to the door, then like 150 kids come to the door. So when I buy enough candy for 150 kids, like five come to the door. I think, I frankly think a lot of it depends on the, the weather. It was pretty chilly. But well, and chilling, and chilling, chilling inside in the at house. the state house in an award-winning way. We need a Disney reference, Jason. Think the of the cold one.
0: never bothered me anyway.
1: Yes. What's that a reference to? I'm I'm frozen. Like, frozen. Okay. Uh,
0: you, you know. <laughs> see, see now.
1: Now, in my defense, Frozen was what 2013.
0: It was after my daughter. Got out of her Disney phase. If you ask her now if she's out of her Disney phase, would she say that she is?
1: I don't know. Are, she may have gone back and watched Frozen.
0: What are you ever out of a Disney phase? I don't.
1: I don't know that. I mean, the New York Times has did an interesting article on Disney adults, people who love Disney as an adult. As adults, I, they didn't interview you though. I mean.
0: Uh, my sister in law works for Disney, and she's even more of a Disney adult.
1: Well, I, I I know people who are like every year they go, and well, do you go every year to some oh, Disney we, we, we resort? Gone every
0: year, but uh, we, we, we do like our Disney cruises.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know that I saw uh, from the start of the Golden Age the 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 last golden age of animation i'm talking starting with the little mermaid although my daughter did like the great mouse detective too um but starting with the little mermaid i saw like the little mermaid and um the lion king and beauty and the beast that was my daughter's favorite beauty and the beast uh the lion king aladdin um hercules Pocahontas, Mulan—I saw all of those a hundred, hundred and fifty times.
0: And you know, since Disney owns ESPN, I can mention that it is now basketball season. Woohoo! And both of our football teams are still worth. I know watching. they're and ranked. Their basketball teams are worth. They're watching. ranked. KU beat
1: Oklahoma. You know, I mean, I was looking for the earth to open up at that one, but you know, that was great.
0: Even as a K-State fan, I'm glad that KU beat Oklahoma on their way out.
1: Yes. We we gave them an extra shove on the way out of yeah. the
0: Big Twelve. And if our uh, long podcast has uh, been giving you an extra shove to turn us off. No, uh, no, no.
1: We're just we're just entertaining. We need to, you know and we need to note that lots of legislators care about sports ball stuff so it it does have a it does have a connection to the state house and talking about sports does make us more chill
0: yeah. i i don't think that's the way sports are supposed to work i don't think they're supposed to make you more chill it should be the opposite okay well I mean,
1: I at get least more I can chill. Get worked up. I get now. Now, I my youngest brother he can get really worked up. Like I, he once got worked up over Ryder Cup golf. Okay, that's how competitive my youngest brother is. Boy, I'm spilling a lot of family <laughs> secrets here. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, my mother's gonna call <laughs> and say, "What, what? I, what is this you're talking about?" On. On the on onto the podcast,
0: and, and if you think that I need more practice at wrapping up these podcasts, you are correct. That was something that Andrew always did. Uh, I guess I should have been paying. We're working attention. on it, folks. But We're working on it. If you want to read more of our work, you can find my stuff. At cjonline.com and plenty more from my fellow Capital Journal reporters. Indeed. And then uh, my stuff appears
1: on apnews.com. And of course, there's lots and lots of stuff from all over the world on apnews.com. And then there's a backslash author, backslash John Hannah. And where are we on the uh, social media hub that used to be known as Twitter?
0: Well, I'm uh, at APJDHannah. And on X, I am at Jason underscore Alatid. All right. And find more of Chilling in the State House wherever podcasts are found. I, I usually use really Spotify, find- but I, you can do Apple Play or Google or... I just Google Chilling in the State House. Yes. And, it gets and this is up. episode number 90. I believe so. And you know, the first
1: one, the first one featuring Andrew Ball and Titus Wu, it was about abortion.
0: I'm just thinking about how, you know, Andrew left me, I think, a 28-step guide for making sure these podcasts get yes, out. Yes, Andrew was third And recording it is the about the eighth step. And I, I'm glad he left me the list because today I couldn't make it past step one without remembering what came next. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been that kind of wakeful. Yes, yes. All right. Well, we, we should wrap this up. Yeah. Have a good one, y'all. Yep.